every day. Make a good decision for your company today and reach MPB listeners through MPB program underwriting. For more information, go to mpbonline.org slash underwriting. Good morning. It's 830 on Wednesday, January 30th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, lawmakers are trying to find ways to help Mississippians affected by opioid addiction. Then, the story of a man working to curb teen crime in the Delta. I had a hell of a childhood. I wasn't raised by my mom. I was raised by my grandmother. A couple years ago, I was sleeping outside in negative five-degree weather. Had guns held to my head at point-blank range, daring me to move. And after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, why a new tobacco data report card is giving Mississippi a failing grade across the board. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Some legislators are working to find new ways to help Mississippians caught up in opioid addiction. They're pushing House Bill 881, the Opioid Crisis Intervention Act. The measure would offer more protection to those who call 911 on behalf of drug users. It would also help some users avoid the normal criminal court process in favor of drug courts, which offer treatment programs and often less jail time. Representative Dana Criswell favors HB 881. The Olive Brand Republican tells our Desiree Frazier some of the bill's benefits. One of them is expanding the Good Samaritan Law. And the Good Samaritan Law that we passed uh, last year or the year before, I forget the dates, uh, allows someone, if someone has a crisis, uh, an overdose, and you call them, then you're not arrested for being in the presence of the drugs. Uh, This kind of cleans up some of the language that the district attorney said we needed for them to make make it a little clearer who who has that immunity and makes it a little bit better for them to call and for other people in the area not to be arrested. And not to just leave somebody laying there. Right, because what had happened in the past is that if you were at a party, somebody overdosed, Everybody just left and would leave them because they were afraid of getting caught up and being arrested. Even if you were not taking drugs, you were there when somebody else was. So this language kind of helps that to, to hopefully to allow some people to, to make the call and say they need help without worrying about going to jail. And what are the other highlights? A couple of other things is to move some of the opioid, the people that are addicted to the opioids into the drug court type atmosphere. Uh, So we make it a little bit easier for counties to set up these drug courts and to move the people that are addicted to opioids into drug courts. Um, One of the things that it allows is for them to be on a doctor prescribed uh, medication that's helping them get off of that, but also be in drug court. Because right now, if you're in the drug court program, if you test positive for any drugs, you're out. Even ones that are helping them get off that are doctor prescribed. So that's kind of the language that is kind of being, it's not set just right just yet. But it's language that we're working on to make sure that you don't want people still on the drugs, but you want them to be able to go through the drug court program and still working with the doctor to get off of the opioids. 
Representative Dana Criswell of Olive Branch. John Doughty is director of the Mississippi Bureau of Narcotics. He says the Opioid Crisis Intervention Act is well-meaning, but he still has some concerns, which he shares with our Desiree Frazier. Part of the concerns that we have uh, regarding this is uh, we feel like it potentially could open the floodgates uh, for a lot of people to have avenues uh, of uh, diversion uh, that uh, probably ought to be seeing the inside of a jail cell. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean, a uh, couple of things that, you know, we've got uh, going with uh, trying to open up uh, more opportunities for people to be diverted into other types of courts besides going to jail. Uh, one of the things that we're concerned with is uh, uh, allowing people who are charged with uh, burglary of a dwelling uh, to be allowed to uh, participate. And and I think it's a little dangerous when you start expanding the availability of drug court to potential violent crimes. And, um, you know, the, the whole situation involving uh, a lot of uh, the aspects of that particular bill, at least as I read it, um, I just think there are some good ideas that are contained therein, um, but I think we need to have more discussion about how to implement some of those uh, as opposed to the way it's currently formatted in the legislation. What about the piece where if um, you're at a party, someone overdoses, and you call 911, the bill says that you wouldn't be prosecuted or charged with anything. You would be considered a good Samaritan. Uh, we've already got that legislation in, in Mississippi. I mean, that, that's been on the books for a while. Um, and, you know, I'm not necessarily opposed to um, an individual who is consuming drugs with another uh, being able to uh, get that type of immunity. Uh, but Again, we already have a law on the books that protects those kind of individuals. What I don't want to have happen is individuals who are out there selling heroin or fentanyl and they're allowing somebody to shoot up in their home to then be able to call 911 and get some type of an immunity for that. And I'll give you an example. Uh, we uh, We worked a case last year here in Hines County Uh, The individual was uh, a fairly well-known heroin and meth dealer here in the city of Jackson. Uh, When we executed the search warrant on his home, uh, he had a surveillance system in the home. Uh, He had needles uh, that he would actually use to inject the heroin into individuals. We learned as we were doing the investigation that the previous Saturday night that there was a young lady that had gone in there and uh, had used heroin in his house. They called 911, and she ended up at uh, University of Mississippi Medical Center. He also had Narcan on his dresser uh, to help revive individuals, but what he was doing as a dealer was not allowing people to leave his home. He was making them shoot up in his home. And this is an individual who's making his living off of selling these kind of drugs to people. So you got to be real careful about how you... uh, you know, you, you word that type of language uh, just to make sure that you're not allowing a, a, a door to get open that you don't uh, intend to really open. John Dowdy of the Mississippi Bureau of Narcotics with MPB's Desiree Frazier. Coming up, hear the story of a man working to curb teen crime in the Delta. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. 
Whether you're a thrifty shopper or someone who likes to buy the whole store, Change is the program that will allow your purchases to show your support for the quality content on MPB Radio. This easy and no-hassle program rounds up your credit or debit card purchases to the nearest dollar and sends us the difference. You support MPB and get something nice for yourself. To sign up for Change, visit our website, mpbonline.org, and click support. MPB would like to thank Daniel, Coker, Horton, and Bell and the Mississippi Healthcare Alliance for underwriting MPB programs. Your company can be an underwriter, too. Find out more. Go to mpbonline.org slash underwriting to find out how. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. After time in jail and on the streets, a Mississippi man is trying to turn his life around. MPB's Alexandra Watts reports on how this man is using his experiences to combat youth crime in a Mississippi Delta town. Chantress Robinson stands in his grandmother's backyard in Greenville and talks about his late cousin, who was murdered in 2015. Well, most of our memories were, you know, wrestling and running around, chasing each other. Sometimes we play freeze tag. We were real close. Um, and the loss of him really, you know, tore me down because you have someone that you can fully relate to just be taken away from you like that. His cousin was a victim of gun violence. Their bond was a bright spot in his upbringing. I had a hell of a childhood. You know, while most kids were playing with toys, the, the only toys we had was outside. I wasn't raised by my mom. I was raised by my grandmother. And the hardships continued as Robinson got older. A couple of years ago, I was sleeping outside in negative five-degree weather. You know, my life is not the ordinary life. Had guns held to my head at point-blank range, daring me to move. You know, I've been victim of racial instances. I've been lied on and got charges for domestic violence. I, had, I mean, I was 18 years old going through stuff. And people 25 and up were just going through. Today, Robinson is living a different life, coaching basketball games and giving back to his community. But he's concerned about those involved in youth crime. One of those affected is his 20-year-old cousin, Tredarius Robinson. I was a part of a gang. I had to find out the hard way. Like, I actually went to jail. I ended up getting charged with murder. At age 19... Tredarius Robinson was convicted of murder along with three minors. The youngest was just 13 years old. One year later, he and the others are now out of prison, and Robinson says he never thought about the consequences of being in a gang. The rappers telling them about all the little violence, but I ain't telling them the outcome of what's going to happen. Like, if you go kill somebody right now, you, like, you should know what's going to happen. Tiantres Robinson, who never was officially part of a gang, knows what can happen, and wants to help people. I was surrounded by a negative environment, but, you know, I had to somehow gain the knowledge that good is good and good gets you further than bad gets you. He says the murder of a 15-year-old inspired him to help Greenville. The murder also sparked a town hall meeting on youth violence. The city does not attribute youth violence to gangs. Instead, they call these groups cliques because they're typically organized by neighborhoods. But whether it's clique or gang violence, people are concerned, like Parks and Recreation Director Corey Holmes, who spoke at the town hall meeting. See, we got 
have to get like the other cities, like Miss Judge Johnson was saying. When you go to these cities, they got 24 hours recreation. That's right. Keeping our kids off the streets. Giving them something to do. Holmes says the structured activities offered by Parks and Recreation are important in keeping kids off the streets. We've had more volunteers this year because of the violence. A lot of men are stepping up, wanting to coach teams. They're going into the schools, creating teams to be able to combat, you know, what we have going on with the juvenile crime. One popular program is this basketball team Holmes coaches on Friday nights. Melvin Griffin's grandkids also participate in the basketball program. I know if I can't make it here sometime, I know where they at. And I know positive things can happen when they're at this gym, on that baseball field, on that basketball field. However, some at-risk youth face barriers to activities. Some cannot afford the fees for programs, and others lack transportation to access certain activities. Hey, Ronald, throw me that ball, Ronald. When Tiantras Robinson was these boys' age, he was doing something different. I mean, I was trying to practice shooting at it, and I was like seven or eight years old. I was stealing my uncle's gun, going in the mirror, look, you know, looking at myself. I mean, I was glorifying the culture at a young age, so I had no other choice. Robinson is also working to provide at-risk youth with mentors in group therapy. Robinson's cousin, Tredarius Robinson, hopes young people understand what they do now affects them later. Prison is real. That's all I can say. That's all I can say. I don't want people to learn the way I learned. Like, I had to literally go to jail. Like, I did time. And while his experiences led him down one path, both he and his cousin hope sharing those experiences lead younger people down a different one. Alexandra Watts, MPB News. Find out why a new tobacco data report card is giving Mississippi a failing grade across the board. That's coming up after a Southern Remedy Health Minute. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Wills Cotrer, the IT guy around here, and I know firsthand that everybody needs a little help from time to time dealing with the fast-paced world of technology. Wilts, I couldn't agree more. I'm Jeremy Thompson, the computer doctor and phone surgeon. As the weekly host of Everyday Tech, it's our job to make it easier for you to keep up with the latest, greatest, or smallest technologies. The way it works is you give us a call and we'll give you some answers, hopefully Hopefully the the right right ones. That's Everyday Tech, this morning at 10 on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and this is a Southern Remedy Health Minute. I had three days of, I guess you would call it, semi-extreme diarrhea, and uh, finally went to the doctor. He said I had something called H. pyloria. He gave me a, a load of antibiotics. I, I also took a ton of Pepto-Bismol, like six a day. And I was fairly straightened out for like two weeks. Two days later, it's all back again, including some extreme nausea. But it only happened for like one day. I kind of feel like I'm okay now. So H. pylori is a uh, bacteria that likes to live in the stomach, in the GI tract. And it's most notorious for helping to sort of put you at increased risk for gastric ulcers and gastric bleeding uh, and uh, can just sort of erode the stomach lining. 
Uh, you need to treat this with a complex regimen, which usually involves a macrolide or a couple of other um, uh, antibiotics, but they're also in conjunction with things that decrease the acid level. Now, diarrhea is not a typical symptom of H. pylori. So if you weren't having a whole lot of pain in your in your epigastric region, I probably would not even have even tested. It sounds like because of these symptoms sort of coming and going, I'm not too sure that that's what's causing your symptoms. I think it may be something else. For more health tips and medical information, listen to Southern Remedy each weekday morning at 11 on MPB Think Radio. The Health Minute is underwritten by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Mississippi. Live healthy, live blue. It's good to be blue. Get your MPB car tag anytime. It doesn't even have to be up for renewal. Simply go to your county office to sign up. When you get an MPB car tag, a portion of the fee helps MPB continue to educate, inform, and entertain Mississippians. For details, visit mpbonline.org slash car tag. We'll see you on the road. I'm Robin Young. The young Saudi woman who fled her country for Canada, fearing for her safety, reminded us of the Saudi princess 40 years ago executed for alleged adultery. Um, We thought it was medieval then. and The fact that all these years later, this is still happening is just shocking. The Death of a Princess, next time, here and now. Today at noon on MVB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi is getting failing grades across the board in a new report from the American Lung Association. The new state of tobacco control grades states in categories such as the legal age to purchase tobacco products, availability of quit smoking programs, and even the level of cigarette taxes. Ashley Lyerly is with the American Lung Association. She says they're looking in five key categories. Funding for state tobacco prevention programs, the strength of smoke-free workplace laws, the level of a state's tobacco tax, um, coverage and access to services to quit tobacco, and then the minimum age of sale for tobacco products in 21. And as you um, just noted, um, the state of Mississippi, unfortunately, over the last year, um, has not seen much progress as it relates to tobacco prevention and control and did receive Fs in all categories um, as part of this report. In these categories, is there one that can have the biggest effect if someone earns an A or improves their grade? Will that have a bigger effect than another category, perhaps? Well, certainly we know that um, implementing comprehensive statewide smoke-free air laws um, can have significant impact um, on public health, um, and certainly passing that law would, um, hopefully, if it um, covered all workplaces and public places in Mississippi, would certainly see an impact. We also um, see a tremendous impact in increasing states' tobacco taxes, so it is one of the most effective ways to reduce tobacco use. Um, not only for low-income individuals, but also for youth. So there are multiple studies that show that every 10% increase in the price of cigarettes reduces consumption. Um, for adults, that's about 4%, and then um, 7% for youth. What is the cost difference between 
e-cigarettes vaping versus cigarettes? We, as the Lung Association, really advocate for um, e-cigarettes to be considered as tobacco products, and we want them to be um, equalized. So um, in Mississippi currently, um, the state tax on uh, tobacco products is only 68 cents. Um, and so with a $1.50 increase, that would bring the tax to about $2.18. Um, we would want to see the same um, tax rate um, applied um, you know, parallel tax rates to other tobacco products, which would include e-cigarettes. Mississippi has the 40th lowest in the nation um, in cigarette taxes. Um, the average state cigarette tax is $1.79 per pack. All states get money from the big tobacco settlement from years ago. Does your report show what Mississippi is paying of that money towards tobacco cessation? Yes, it does. So within our access to cessation services grade, um, which actually Mississippi receives a letter F, um, that grade looks at not only um, the coverage to tobacco for state-based programs, so that's a state Medicaid program, as well as a state employee health plan, but it does look at the investment per smoker for the state quit line, um, which in Mississippi, that's $2.30. Um, and then the median investment per smoker is $2.21. So um, for the state quit line in particular, um, the investment per smoker is higher than the median investment. What about smoke-free air? Does that relate to secondhand smoke? Yes, it does. Um, so in Mississippi, um, there there's been tremendous success at the local level um, for local municipalities and counties to pass um, comprehensive smoke-free air laws. Um, so in Mississippi, there are 152 smoke-free municipalities and five counties. Um, but unfortunately, that leaves a significant amount of the population uncovered. So 34% of the Mississippi population is covered by comprehensive smoke-free air laws. Um, and we would love to see Mississippi pass a statewide smoke-free air law for all workers, including uh, bars and casino workers. We know that there are 28 states um, that have done so, plus the District of Columbia, and we would love to see Mississippi um, become one of those states. How does the minimum age for sale of tobacco products compared to other states? So in Mississippi, um, you have to be 18 to purchase um, tobacco products. Um, there is um, a wide trend um, and movement to increase that um, purchase age to 21. We know through research that shows that if we were to increase the age, we would see a drastic redu reduction in consumption and initiation. Um, so Mississippi is um, one of those states that currently is at 18, and there are a number of states that have um, chosen to increase it to, to 21. Um, certainly there is continued dialogue in Mississippi and across the nation as this has become one of the um become one of the tools that, uh, to work on tobacco prevention and to reduce consumption. And you mentioned that you've put e-cigarettes now under all tobacco products, but does there have to be a separate effort because of that increase to tackle the e-cigarette crisis? I think that we need to make sure that e-cigarettes are covered by tobacco prevention and control laws. So making sure that e-cigarettes are taxed at the same rate as um, cigarette and other tobacco products, making sure that e-cigarettes are included in statewide smoke-free air efforts or local municipality efforts, um, and certainly continuing the education, making sure that we're investing in tobacco prevention and control program funding so that we can educate um, about the harms associated with um, the use of e-cigarettes, but also secondhand emissions. Ashley Lyerly is the American Lung Association Director of Advocacy 
Thank you very much for the information. And before I let you go, where can people access this report? Um, if people visit www.lung.org, um, and you can search for our State of Tobacco Control Report. Wonderful. Ashley, thank you so much. Thank you. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Fix It 101. Then at 10 o'clock, it's Everyday Tech. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. Did you miss part of the show today? Find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org by downloading the MPB Public Media app from the Apple or Google Play stores or by subscribing to Mississippi Edition in your favorite podcasting app. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio. Whether you're a thrifty shopper or someone who likes to buy the whole store, Change is the program that will allow your purchases to show your support for the quality content on MPB Radio. This easy and no-hassle program rounds